once again, HSV Progressive. I'm really glad you're here. Uh, today, we have uh, a, a couple of interviews to get through um, with local Madison residents. First is Michael Bailey. And Michael, could you please introduce yourself? And, you know, I, what we're going to talk about is your um, um, indoor air care advocate uh, organization. And, and, and so after you tell us a little bit about yourself, could you tell us a little bit about your organization to just get us started? Yeah, for sure. All right, okay. I can do that. Go, 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 go. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me on. Um, yeah, I'm Michael Bailey, and I am a manager at Google. I work in the Flare reverse engineering team. We reverse malware, um, and Google Cloud acquired us, so now I work at Google. <laughs> and uh, I also was an adjunct professor at UAH in the electrical computer engineering department for a little bit. And I'm the co-founder of Indoor Air Care Advocates, uh, along with my wife. And I, my position there is called Research Dad. So I'm not a professional engineer, but I've been really following a lot of the literature and recommendations having to do with air quality and what it can do for keeping kids um, healthy and in class instead of sick and in, in, in parents' offices. So um, I have a bachelor's in computer engineering, so that's where I get my mathiness from. And um, Indoor Air Care Advocates is just this thing that my wife and I and a friend, Jennifer in Madison, um, Jennifer Yarbrough, started. And, you know, it was January 1st, we started asking questions and about April 26th, we were like, fine, we have to do this. So it's about 300 plus um, parents in 46 states. And it's mostly parents, but it's also educators, lawyers, healthcare, public health people, engineers, uh, social workers, just all manner of people with different expertise, asking wow. schools to please look at these recommendations and, mm -hmm. and do them. So that's our, that's our thing. Yeah. Uh, okay. And you keep mentioning your wife, which I want to say is the person that I'm also interviewing today That's for right. the show. Yep. So uh, about, about um, um, the Alabama channel, which That's I've right. mentioned before. So anyway, so, um, and you call yourself a research dad because you're dad, right? Yeah. For, yeah, uh, your motivation is that you have children and you want them to be safe, right? You know, when you told me to introduce myself, the first th thought that I had was tell them you're a dad. And then I went into the um, kind of the spiel that I usually go into and forgot the part where I'm like husband to uh, Tara <laughs> Bailey, right? And also father of these three children. So uh -huh. uh, one of those children has two different flavors of probable comorbidity to COVID. Uh -oh. One of them being a respiratory medical history and the other one uh -huh. being kidneys. You know, COVID uh -huh. doubled, doubled hospitalizations from new onset diabetes according to the American Diabetes Association. And oh, CDC gosh. came back around and was like, well, yeah, it turns out it was the COVID. Because a lot of people were thinking, ah, oh, well, it's because we took them out of gym class. You know, we had them locked oh, down. Oh, yeah, no, I doubt that, seriously. Yeah. It turns out- On no. that short of a time scale? Yeah, no, yeah, I don't exactly. think so. It wasn't <laughs> the couple of months back in 2020 that we were masking and locking down. It actually turns out uh, that it was the COVID. So that's why we're, you know, so interested in this. It's like, well, if that was the missed step in putting kids back to school and we see- doubling and tripling of chronic absenteeism after we put them back in school, then I see no coincidence here. I see consequence. Well, okay. So, and I, I have a piece of paper in front of me that, that you guys put out, your organization puts out that talks a lot of, um, of, of these, you've done research and it's, and there's links on here. Uh, I, so do you have, um, 
Well, okay, I see. There's a little QR code. I can scan that. I just want to make sure I can find that and put it in the show notes for everybody yeah, because absolutely. you're 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 just sitting there saying that uh, that absences have gone up, and I want people to be able to look and see that you have done your research and absences really have gone up. Yeah, the data in that sheet is actually more about like, what are these recommendations? Like a lot of people are kind of like a toddler at a cash register. We don't really know what we're owed. And shamefully, we're getting ripped off. Uh, As far as ventilation is concerned, nobody's quantifying it. Nobody has done anything quantifiable. Mostly what they'll say to you if you ask about ventilation is, um, we implement ASHRAE and it's like, well, which standard? Like, And the other thing is like the professionals at at ASHRAE, their official position is, um, this is by the way, the American Society of Heating, Refrigerating and Air Conditioning Engineers. These are the experts on ventilation and HVAC, their their official position is that ASHRAE's standard levels of ventilation in their standard that's called 62.1 are significantly lower. I quote, significantly lower than recommended levels for infection control. So they're kind of letting you know, like, that's not really an answer to. No, (laughs) yes. I mean, and and, uh, that uh, ASHRAE uh, heating and air conditioning people, those don't exactly sound like CDC people to me. You know yeah. what I mean? The surprise to <laughs> me was, yeah, HVAC um, actually, um, it has a, it has this huge professional organization associated with it, which um, is filled with professional engineers. So um, you may be thinking, um, you know, I think of HVAC as a slap it in there and it's done kind of a thing, but it actually turns out, I mean, there is a lot of sophistication that goes into what is mechanical code and what do we need to do to provide certain amounts of outdoor air? And so um, when I, when I, as a dad, right, as a research dad, I was like, mm-hmm. well, what are we supposed to be doing? I went to the CDC's website. I saw that when it comes to ventilation, I could tell they're really deferring to these ASHRAE people. So I looked into them and yeah, it's a, it's a, an elite professional organization of HVAC engineers who really know their stuff. Okay. Authority. Okay. Uh, it, but they know their stuff to the extent that they can say, well, yeah, what we generally sell is not really up to, you know, disease control level. <laughs> yeah, they, exactly. They do. Um, so it's their position document on infectious aerosols. And you can uh, look okay. it up on their website. Okay. And their yeah, their official position is, you know, this is significantly lower than what's recommended. Now they mm-hmm. they don't have a specific recommendation, but the chair of their epidemic task force has personally recommended the same thing as uh-huh. the Lancet COVID-19 Commission and uh-huh. the same thing as the ideal recommendation from um, the TH Chan School of Public Health, which is actually at the very bottom of the of the span of recommendations from. Um, the American Council of Industrial, I'm sorry, American Council of Government Industrial Hygienists and the American Industrial Hygiene Association. So it's like basically a lot of these elite organizations in terms of like they know their stuff and they understand engineering controls and what they can and can't do um, are saying between six to 12 air changes is what we should be getting. And the message may vary. In the case of Bill Banfleth, the former president of Eshray mm-hmm. and the chair of that task force, he says you should get six confirmed and enhance if feasible. What he's saying is, yeah, the Delta strain really turned out to be more transmissible. You know, so if we really do want to keep kids in schools, we really ought to target six air changes per hour. Well, and, and above and beyond COVID, I, I mean, any of these transmissible, wouldn't it just be better to like help with flus and colds and asthma and yeah, everything? Yeah, the, wouldn't exactly. It? The infectious uh, you know, problem of the day, like when he was talking about this was, was the Delta variant, but you'll notice like the thing that kept kids out of school this fall was RSV and flu, the hardest yeah. hitting and earliest mm-hmm. uh, that we'd ever seen in 10 mm-hmm. years. So yeah, it doesn't matter what's airborne. If you're, if you've got 
portable HEPA filters or if you're bringing in outdoor air, it all tastes like chicken to the engineering controls. They're just like, <laughs> eat it up. It's gone. <laughs> well, you know, I this is what when you start talking about this to me, I when I was in school, like grade school and stuff. We had windows in our classrooms and, the, you know, as soon as the weather permitted, the windows would be open because we didn't have air, central air and stuff like that. Right. Uh, I, I do remember that I think maybe when I was in about fourth grade, we moved to a brand new school that was huge and enclosed. And we had no windows at all in our our big bay that was broken into cubicles and stuff like that. So that's sort of the, um, uh, you know, but then from then, from, from there in Florida, I moved to North Dakota where it was a little old schoolhouse again with windows, you know. Um, obviously in the wintertime, the windows were not open up there, but it, I, I'm just like, huh. All everything that we build now is like hermetically sealed. <laughs> you know, it drives I, me crazy. <laughs> I hear a lot that um, when you know when I was younger, windows were open. I um, I have an aunt who's significantly your senior, and she also she lived through tuberculosis, and uh -huh. she said the same thing. You know, we used to keep windows open. Now, um, nowadays we have security threats and other reasons. Yes. Isn't that a sad, sad commentary? Yeah, that that that, that we that's come to that. It pretty much is awful. But um, there's, I mean, there's just so many reasons. Another reason is we do have HVACs, and so now they're resistant to opening the windows because they're uh -huh. using the HVAC for temperature control. So yep. there are also just logistical reasons why. Uh, it turns out that HVAC people um, at your school might not be like, yeah, let's open all these windows. Oh, um, yeah, no, I know they're not going to do that. I'm yeah. just telling you, <laughs> yeah. this is what every building that gets built, not just schools, they're all the, the windows don't open. And I, I'm a person who uh, opens the windows in my house all the time. It just seems like a weird way to live with windows that don't open. Uh, but, you know, we've got problems with um, with air pollution. So it, maybe it's better not to because we have a lot of uh, we're up and coming in the air pollution and soot and that kind of stuff in this state concerns. So th there's another reason that you probably want to get a lot of good filtration, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it turns out I used to think HEPA filters were kind of like some new agey thing. Like I had no idea that air purifiers were anything other than fluff. And then pandemic comes along. And, you know, as a research dad, I'm <laughs> reading and I'm seeing lots of these um, studies fly by, like studies that say that in Frankfurt, Germany, the Hume Foundation found, I'm sorry, I'm mixing and matching here. In Frankfurt, Germany, Gaith University found that um, getting six air changes per hour, which again is at the bottom of this span of recommendations that we've mm -hmm. talked about, mm -hmm. can uh, reduce the infection risk by actually reduce the exposure by 80%. Uh -huh. so that's, that's significant. A, yeah. In that classroom, they had four HEPA filters. So a lot of people think you maybe stick one in and done, one and done. But turns out uh, to get six air changes per hour requires more CFM. It, it's about as many CFM as you have square feet. So if you have a 500 square foot room, you need 500 CFM. And so if you have a floor model that's got like 150 CFM, you'll need about four of them uh -huh. um, to get your in-room air cleaning up to six air changes per hour. There are um, models that have higher CFM higher, yeah, still uh -huh. be quiet enough for a classroom, but that's yeah. an example. Uh-huh.
Shh. <laughs> I, I, it, you know, people walk in when you're recording. They don't know. Uh, anyway. That's <laughs> true. Anyway, um, uh, so uh, so what? How can you? Are there people in schools now doing a good job anywhere in the in this country? Yeah, actually, um, wow, it's taken us a long time to find them, and wow, they're very few and far between. But um, I want to name two schools that I know of that are doing the right things, or that are advertising that are doing the right things, and I hope to get a CO two monitor in there to verify it. Uh-huh. Um, in Huntsville City Schools, I know that we have um, we have an automation system uh, that's it's called demand controlled ventilation. And what they do oh. there is anytime the carbon dioxide concentration exceeds a certain level, what that means is that the exhaled carbon dioxide from students and teachers is building up, and that the ventilation hasn't hasn't pushed back on it enough. And so they have a set point, uh, according to them, of 800 parts per million which means um, roughly about 20 CFM per person, according to um, if you were to do some calculations or if you want to rely on some EPA documents, that's about 20 CFM per person, which by the way, um, is on the low end of what the CDC um, and WHO and other groups recommend. They recommend 800 parts per million or 21-ish CFM. That's pretty Uh good that Uh they're implementing something like those recommendations. Uh, another example that's doing well, but um, not to that same criterion, Los Alamos Public Schools. I heard uh-huh. a video from um, their facilities manager, Tommy Castillo. Uh, and in that video that's uh, publicly available that was sent to me, I was able to see him say that they're achieving 900 parts per million with their um, set point. That isn't one of the recommendations. It's a little bit higher. It means that they're getting probably about 15 CFM per person. So they're falling short of some recommendations, but they're absolutely okay, uh, so, shoulders. Uh, you keep using this abbreviation CFM. Well, sure. uh, what's that? <laughs> ah, yeah. We're talking about um, cubic feet per minute. So if you oh, okay. Case, okay. Okay. I, I yeah. thought maybe it sounded like a cubic volume measurement, but I just wanted to make sure. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. It's, an, it's airflow. So <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I use it to put this into context because people are like parts per million of CO2. What the heck is that? And it's just like, yeah, it's, it's almost inconceivable how that might um, indicate air quality. But the deal is when we breathe out 5% of what we breathe out is CO2 and uh-huh. the harder we work, uh, the more it comes out. If we're sitting mm-hmm. shuffling papers and doing class, it comes out a, at a low enough rate that you could counter the buildup of CO2 um, and maintain a uh, a reasonable level of CO2 um, by giving about 20 CFM per person. Uh-huh. Um, there are better recommendations, like the Lancet says you should give 30 CFM per person. The CO2 um, measurement that you'd get if you were able to do that would be about 650 parts per million. Uh-huh. Uh, the lowest you could possibly get CO2 down to, by the way, is if you were outside. Um, outdoor air is between 420 and 450 parts per million of CO2. Uh, uh-huh, like how many cars are around and stuff like or that. Or how many trees you're sitting under. Yeah. <laughs> Nicely said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Cool. Oh, okay. So, it, so you're saying there is a, a Los Alamos schools and Huntsville is maybe doing okay. Yeah, specifically Jones Valley Elementary. I don't know what's being done in other Huntsville schools, and I, uh-huh. I wish to find that out. Mm-hmm. Do you, um, well, okay, so uh, you have a website that people could maybe follow along when you find we, stuff out? Yeah, we do. So we actually would love to produce a, a report of who's doing well. Um, and if So if you have information about who's doing well or not, actually, um, you, could, you could find us at iaqadvocates.org. 
And that IAQ is, it sounds like if we're air, <laughs> we are um, indoor air care advocates. That doesn't seem like it would be an abbreviated IAQ, just so I can tip you off here. IAQ stands for indoor air quality. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, okay. I'll, ma- I'll try to make sure that I, that I put all of that. Yeah. I'll put all of that in the show notes so awesome. people can find links and maybe follow you or even contact you with information if they have any. Yeah. And ideally okay. if, if anybody would contact us and wants to bring a CO2 monitor into classes to see what levels their classrooms are at, you know, there's a group called N cases in North Carolina and they did this and they found that one school actually was meeting this CDC recommendation uh, but many other schools were far and away not. not. And mm-hmm. it's important to know, like nobody's quantifying it for you. So you actually, it turns out, have to bring a CO2 monitor to quantify it, turns out. Uh-huh. There are other ways to clean air than bringing in outdoor air. Um, but I, I figure that they would have told me they were doing that <laughs> and they haven't. Uh-huh. Um, you can use high MERV filters. You can use portable HEPA filters, like through the ELC program administered by UAB here in Alabama. Your uh-huh. school can get free HEPA filters. Can they get enough for a whole school with six air changes per hour? No, but they could improve the quality. They of could at least and... make an, make it a stab at it yep. or a start and then find other sources to add on or yeah. all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. Yep. So if parents so, want to get in touch with us, that, that'd be the way um, IAQadvocates.org. So that's one thing parents could do. If they happen to have a, car, a CO2 monitor, they oh, could can, help you out that way. We can lend one, actually. We've lent them to <laughs> teachers, so they now oh, have okay. cute stickers on them that say books are great. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's great. Wow. Lend those out, yeah. Oh, cool. That's wonderful. So what else do you think that parents should be doing, like writing to their congresspeople or the state legislator or think- the school board or what what? What 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 can people do I to think try? One, and, yeah, sorry. one thing. Yeah, no, sorry, I'm mm, sink. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> one thing they can do is let school boards and superintendents know that they're asking for something specific. Um, it would be one to two cfm per square foot. Or that's cubic feet per minute per square foot, uh-huh. um, which will achieve that six to twelve air changes per hour. Uh-huh. Or failing that, asking for at least 20 to 30 CFM per person mm-hmm. of outdoor air. The people in administrations need to understand that there's actually a specific level, a quantifiable level of uh, ventilation and filtration that is recommended and that they're usually not hitting. And so if we if we come in asking, what are you doing? They'll say, well, we change the filters more often and so on and so forth. But when what we really want to know is how much clean air, can you quantify it or can you not? Uh, And so what we're working towards is communicating a unified message of this is how much clean air is actually acceptable. It's the amount that's been recommended by these, you know, five organizations. Are you doing it? Uh, The other thing is to contact Eric Mackey and ALSDE, and uh, that's the Alabama um, School Department of Education. Um, uh Ask ask them to guide schools to spend their remaining ESSER dollars on quantifiable increases in outdoor air. Um, schools don't know what to do to get that ESSER money spent. And uh, meanwhile, I'm sitting here out of breath, like, I know what you could do that would keep kids in class. It's ventilation and filtration. So yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. really ought to do it. And then, yeah, contacting representatives and telling them that it's um, it's not on parents um, that their um, kids are sick all the time and not able to go to school. So like if chronic absenteeism has tripled, uh, then schools need rules and incentives from our legislature targeting this one to two CFM per square foot or at least mm-hmm. 20 to 30 CFM per student if they're not willing to do it on that basis. Uh, and then make it public. Like we, one of, uh, one of the things I noticed is that 
a lot of this gets filed away and people are just like, okay, thanks for the information. It's like, we really need to make a stink. So write your newspaper and your news outlets. Yeah, there and, you go. Letters you should, to the editor, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Unified mm-hmm. terminology of what we want, which is what's recommended. That's what we were really owed. The safe back to school is a bit of a sham because it just didn't do that one step. That's the only one that would have made a difference. We took the masks off, right? Um, we're not doing social distancing. So we're left with ventilation and filtration that hasn't been done. So that's what we need. Yep. And, and so when it comes to getting in touch with your legislators, um, I think maybe that and finding out what they're up to and what bills are in front of the state and that kind of stuff. I think maybe the Alabama channel would be a good way to find that oh. out, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. So um, I might have used that a little bit to do a little research. <laughs> And Tara, um, being my guide here, um, uh-huh. to find out what legislators have taken an interest so far and who might be the right legislator to ask, you know, what can we do to make there be uh, an incentive and a requirement to do this? Because we've just found that schools are saying, hey, man, it's not required. And we're like, I don't care if it's required. If you want to keep kids in schools, you need to do it. Yeah. <laughs> but yet they push back on these sick absences. And, and then they're telling us that they've got triple and even in some cases, nearly quadruple the chronic absenteeism. And I'm just like, quit searching for a reason. I, we know yeah, the reason. <laughs> right, right, right. I think, I think maybe that, that this would, if not be the thing, at least a huge part of an explanation for all the absence. Absences. I'll say that in, in central Alabama, there was a, an article, I think it was near Birmingham, where somebody from the school administration said that one of the reasons why there was so much chronic absenteeism was parent concerns over COVID. And I called them and said, you know, there's a, a way you could legitimately address that concern. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh, that's by uh-huh. that's by exactly what we've talked about. Uh-huh. uh-huh. I'm a broken record. <laughs> well, yeah, you're a dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's you, it. you know, I uh, I'm a I'm a teacher and um uh, my favorite definition of a teacher is somebody who never says anything just once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a way, we must all be teachers and we yes. must all be leaders. It turns out that unified messaging from the ground up is an important tool so that people hear it more than once from more than one person and realize it's not like, you know, random dad pulling it out of his um, back pocket. Mm-hmm. It's something we're all asking for because, and That's it's a right. reasonable request and That's it's based right. in, you know, evidential fact. And it's also, you know, it's, I, I kind of think form. what you're talking about is democracy. Yeah, <laughs> it could be. <laughs> might be. You know, a lot of people talking to their legislators then for to make change you know that's supposed to be the power of the people that uh, that democracy is all about right self-government yeah mm-hmm. a lot of people um, a lot of people I you know I'll, I'll just be straightforward about it I'll take my indoor air care advocates hat off and say that a lot of people who uh, would disagree with me on politics um, have said that the government is is pretty much the enemy but I feel I have to remind like the government was supposed to be us. Mm-hmm. So um, if you, if we're destroying the government, um, if we believe we need to abolish departments of education, et cetera, what we're saying is that self-government um, isn't working and we can't trust ourselves to govern ourselves. I think the real right answer is more of us need to pick our heads up from our work and realize that we're needed in our communities and in our, our state and in yep. our country to make Absolutely. the right decision. Yes, yes, yes. You know, I I um I, I'll have a letter writers group. You know, so I'm just right there with you. Uh, it's I I so, uh, uh, and just recently um at um you know I did a an interview with uh, uh 
CCL, Citizens Climate Change Lobby, Lobby, Lobby. Citizens Climate Lobby. Um, And and I went to that uh, training that they did last weekend, and they actually uh, gave me some material that reinforced that writing a a physical letter uh, really does, you know, get people's attention. Uh, uh, I mean, I mean, they, they had a nice, uh, like, sort of ranked, you know, what was got got your legislature's most most attention. I can't remember exactly where it fell, you know, making a phone call, um, um, writing a letter, uh, sending an email, and, uh, and then sending, um, you know, one of those mass produced emails that you could just click and it goes and everybody's email looks the same. You know, they actually notice things like that. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned letters to the editor. Um, and I think I will take this opportunity to say that uh, if you write a letter to the editor, you should name your legislator or whoever's attention it is you're trying to get, because it turns out that these people all have staffers who are waiting, looking for places where these people's names get mentioned. So that's, uh, that's a way to, to get attention too. you know? Oh, okay. Good to know. (laughs) Yes. Right. (laughs) Tell everybody, you know, (laughs) yeah, I'm telling everybody right now. I'm literally doing it right now. I'm I'm writing a note. (laughs) Good, good. Be sure you mention names so that those people wind up seeing it because there are people doing internet searches and all that kind of stuff looking for names that are mentioned. Yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think maybe, I don't know. Do you have any last words? Any, uh, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I'm not in the classroom anymore, but clearly uh, you know, I'm, I'm like, I grew up with the windows open. I totally think that we need more good air. <laughs> yeah. It's and, healthy and, air. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, and we need to, t- uh, you know, I'm an environmentalist, so I just, overall, we need to be taking care of our air period. Mm. And, but don't even get me started. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you are, um, with that, as I am with this, I am pretty sure um, <laughs> yeah. I could speak for ages, but I won't, I would just say, you know, um, any ventilation that's not quantified is indefensible. And to my mind, any ventilation that doesn't conform to the well-established recommendations here is indefensible. And we should be going to our school administrators and saying like, don't push back on my sick absences, make it so I don't have the sick absences. Yeah, yeah, put, yeah. Put the right ventilation in that that we now all know should be in. That's, that's you it, said you all. were mathy too, right? So yep. you, uh, uh, how much statistics have you done? You, ah, you, so... You know. Very unscientifically, I have found that the school that I'm zoned for, they had a quadrupling roughly. It was actually 3.6 times the chronic absenteeism. Now, their chronic absenteeism was very low to begin with. Um, There's like different analysis that I would undertake if I were doing it rigorously and presenting it. But um, essentially, um, our school district got uh, 2.6 times increase in chronic absenteeism. Um, and I, I think that wouldn't compare favorably. That, that's, with a, that's, that's a 260%. In, a 100, 160% uh, said, increase. Well, okay. Two, oh, 2.6. Okay. Okay. Yep. Uh, um, that, that's, I mean, that, you know, I, like, I'm, 
I can't, it's hard for me to imagine mm-hmm. a, a hypothesis test that would not find that to be significantly, statistically significant. Sure. But a person can, you say quantifiable, these things can be tested. You, you know, people make some claim that it's caused by this or the other thing. You can test those things. Mm-hmm. You can, you can even do an experiment uh, on something like this by before and after with the filters, you know, and these things can statistically be tested. Experiments will give you cause and effect, you know, Um, you know, and just observational studies. Okay. I'm starting with the math stuff. I'll I'll try to calm down. (laughs) But Yeah. Every school I've talked to that has been doing any of the right things. I've certainly been interested in asking them, would you please um, you know, get with your administration and find out what the absenteeism was before and after. Find out how you can quantify your good work. Otherwise, uh-huh. you can hardly make a case for doing more of that good work. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Or it, otherwise, it's hard for other people to ride on your coattails with, look, it worked here. You know, yep. let's do it here. You know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Quantify, quantify, quantify. That's the yeah. main thing. We need there you go. That's a good. That's a good message to end on, if you ask me. So I think I'm going to thank you very much for coming on and we'll go to a little break and then I will hopefully talk to your wife. Is she available? Yep. We're going to swap out. So thank you so much for having me. Yeah. You're very welcome. Thank you. All right. Cheers. back. <laughs> I sound like a radio announcer. Um, <laughs> and this time uh, I'm talking to, oh, the cats are fighting. Look at that. This time I'm talking to um, uh, Michael's wife, Tara Bailey. Uh, or is it Tara or Tara? Or I, I can't ever remember. Tara. Yeah. Tara. Okay. Sorry. Okay. So Tara, um, you I are uh, instru- have been, instru- you've been on my um, podcast last year, we were talking about Madison City Council and the government over there and all that kind of good stuff, which is a whole other thing. Today, though, <laughs> well, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff to talk about there. But today, we're I want really want to expose um, my listeners to uh, uh, what the Alabama Channel is. You know, <laughs> sorry. Um, the, uh, it, um, it, so it, it, you guys have put together a, a big resource for Alabama citizens all over the state, right? Yes, it's a entire it covers the entire state, and I appreciate you having me on your show again. Um, it's nice to be here. Uh, so, so what the Alabama Channel is um, is a voter information project of the League of Women Voters of Alabama Education Fund, which is a nonpartisan nonprofit organization. And so we live stream, actually we re-live stream and record all of Alabama's legislative meetings, including Senate and floor proceedings, uh, in addition to committee meetings that are currently live streamed through Alabama's legislative website, Allison. Yeah. Uh, But but are the, you guys are um, 
um, saving them? Or does Allison save them? Or is can yeah? You- so so we're re live streaming and recording and archiving all yeah. of the footage that is happening um, currently. And the reason why we are doing that is that Alabama doesn't currently keep an archive of any of their their meetings. Um, so you can't go back if you missed it, if you were busy that day, if you couldn't sit through seven hours of the Senate to see that one moment you were after. Mm-hmm. Um, we are providing this resource to all of all of Alabama and anybody that's interested in Alabama government uh-huh. to see what happens with legislation and what the legislators are discussing. Uh-huh. Well, it seems like also that that might be a good tool for journalists. Are, have, have you heard from journalists using it? We have. Um, we are reaching out actively to as many people as we can to let them know this tool now exists. Um, journalists, you know, can't be everywhere all at once. Yeah. Uh, and so especially local journalists who are, maybe live in northern Alabama who can't drive all the way down to Montgomery or just don't have the time to watch the live stream as it happens. Mm-hmm. They get, this gives them that opportunity to go back and watch a committee meeting, find out what happened with a bill, and then report on it that evening. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's definitely a time saver. In addition to that, um, whenever bills are or whenever the meetings are live streamed, you can go in and actually share footage of the legislature. So if you, for instance, um, were wanting to share what happened in a committee meeting because a bill that you're really interested in was discussed, mm-hmm. you can actually go on our tool and see that meeting and then hit the share button. And that allows you to share directly to um, Facebook, Twitter. You can embed it into your own website. If you have a mm-hmm. blog, mm-hmm. Um, you can just copy the hyperlink and share it. So that really helps, uh, especially reporters, if they want to add an element of video to the reporting, which I think can be pretty powerful. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking. So, uh, so uh, uh, the other thing then also is it like you're in, you've got all of this archive of recordings that people, maybe if they're looking for information on a particular bill, what is happening with this bill? Don't you guys also have all the information about what bills are up and who's sponsoring them and when they're, that kind of stuff or links to where you find that out? What, yeah, what do you have? Please, please, please. Yeah. So, so mostly the bill language and, and all of that, you're going to find that out on Allison. We're trying to do some social media posts just to draw attention to what's going on and the bills that are being pre-filed right now. Um, but if you go to allison.legislature.state.al.us, that's Allison's uh, web address, that in, and you click on bills, you can actually see bills in the current session, because we're uh-huh. now entering into the current session, uh-huh. away from the special session. Um, and so the um, the regular session is actually beginning this Tuesday, March 21st, um, and then there'll be like a spring break from March 28th to April 4th. And then they go back in, in, into session April 4th through the 20th. So we started recording this footage in 20, like 2022. So last year, uh, last mm-hmm. legislative session. So we have mm-hmm. about 70 hours of footage mm-hmm. just from 2022's legislative session. So what you can do, and it's a little different on a podcast. Usually I'm doing a demo where everybody can see my screen. Yeah. You yeah. can go through that whole process. Um, but if you go to watch meetings on the alabamachannel.org, you can search by topic. Say you're interested in 
education or whatever it is, you can mm -hmm. actually search because what our tool does is transcri it transcribes every video oh. you've ever recorded. So whatever has been said in the legislature in any of our meetings, you can actually find the moment oh, where that is talked about. That's fabulous. And yeah, it's it's really exciting. It's really the coolest part of our tool, I think, is the ability to find these moments because you just don't have the time, even if it's archived and live streaming and all of that, that's wonderful, but you still don't have the time to sit through eight hours of footage to see if your bill was discussed. So you might type in HB or SB in the number, or you might type in House bill, Senate bill in the number. It's all de dependent on what was spoken, like what was said in the meeting. Um, so think of it that way when you're doing the search, make sure you just type in yeah right oh, you know one course. word or whatever yes they different. think about what people what word somebody would have said that would make it yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah so for instance um crt is something there was a, a divisive concepts bill back in 2022 and it passed the house and it almost passed the senate but it ran out of time and so this year that bill is back as hb7 uh-huh and so we have actually gone and done the work for everyone, uh, created a new blog. And our uh -huh. first blog post is about divisive concepts. So we went back into our archive, uh -huh. found all those key moments, moments where there were um, public hearings on the bill, very moving testimony from a lot of citizens who came uh -huh. and spoke out against divisive concepts is in that is included in that footage. Um, and so you can go there to our blog and you can get to it right on our homepage. It says new blog uh -huh. um, and click on that. And if you're interested in seeing what happened last year, you, you can watch those meetings and then be prepared for this year. Uh -huh. really Seems like uh, that's a great re uh, research tool for, for somebody to go back and find something. Like even um, uh, if you're in school and you want to do a report about what is the legislature doing, you know, or something like that, that they're, uh, so how do you guys decide what to do a blog post on? Uh, really that just came up as a, you know, I knew the bill was coming up again. And so it was uh -huh. a really nice packaged way to say, okay, here was the bill in 2022. I have a lot of footage from that. And now we're going to show this is going to happen in 2023 in HB7. Um, really, there's no definite like reason why we're choosing this or that. We're going to be adding topics. It, it's really, you know, if there's a bill that was discussed last year that also has a companion bill this year because it didn't make it, it would That's be nice to have a blog so that you can easily mm -hmm. find those moments all prepackaged and, and yeah. nice for you to see. Yeah. So, do you, but do you get any input from like viewers and, and users about what they want you to talk about or gather up or stuff so, like that? So we're actually, we're working with, um, we recently started working with some high school students, some uh -huh. local high school students who have an interest in writing um, for the blog. And so uh -huh. I'm basically asking them what they're interested in. Uh-huh, that's <laughs> um, And so, yeah, yeah so they're going to be taking a, um, in writing a blog. I don't know exactly which topic they want to focus on, um, but I know some things that have been talked about are like gerrymandering and redistricting. Mm -hmm. That's um, huge. Voting. Oh, man, course, I, yeah, all, all sorts of voting rights. And then uh, the gerrymandering thing is a big deal in this state, and it's coming up. Uh, in the Supreme Court of the United States, uh, uh, Alabama case. So that, uh, and I think I'm, you, you know, norm, 
I think I'm still, because from talking to Michael about schools and schools and schools, that's the first thing I'm thinking of is like, oh, students could look this up and learn. But obviously yeah. it's for everybody. It's not, uh, <laughs> it, by no means, I mean, this is like, this is, you know, where you can find out what to do maybe or who to contact or what what has been said and what you might be able to get out of, you know, as a next step or or, or stuff like that. Yeah, so not only can it help students, which we would love for more, maybe some teachers to even use this tool as a project. Um, in yeah, the classes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe political science or journalism classes, history. Um, well, U.S. government. U.S. government would be wonderful. Yeah, yeah it makes a lot of sense. Uh, but they could actually go in and say, okay, here's a bill. Um, read the bill all together and then decide why they would vote the way they would vote and then watch the footage of how the legislature actually voted and the discussions that took place. And I think it could be a really fun, interactive way to kind of expose the legislature to um, high school, college students. Be wonderful. Yeah. yeah, I think it seems like a great educational tool, but ab above and beyond that, to me, it's important that it's an activist tool. You know, it, 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 it's a way for somebody who's concerned about an issue to zero in on something and find out who, who, who's saying what about it and, and, and that kind of good stuff. Yeah. So, you know, it's also just to, to quickly mention, it's also an educational tool for our legislature, legislators themselves um, as bills go through committee. Uh, the legislators that are going to vote on that bill as it gets out of committee uh -huh. are not having the opportunity to see the you know, public hearings and the discussion that was had in the committee meetings. Uh -huh. And so when a bill goes through committee, it only the only thing that comes out of a committee is whether a bill received a favorable report or not. And so there's not even any meeting minutes that are kept. No, yeah. No, I mean, that's so, just not, I know that it's, it's, it's inadequate. Yeah, so, so it's a great way for legislators to go in, find out what happened during that committee meeting on the bills they're going to be voting on, and have just a little more edu you know, education on what was done in that committee, so that they're better. So have you had much discussion with legislators about using this tool? So I have um, personally emailed all of the legislators. Yeah, yeah good. You know, I know that that can be difficult. They get a lot of email and, you know, you yeah. just never know. Um, but I have had a couple conversations with legislators that have been actually pretty excited about the tool. Um, they, they like the fact that it's there for them uh -huh. to look back on. Um, we definitely state on our website that this is a tool that's not um, being produced by Alabama's government, you know, yeah. mm -hmm. something that's outside of the government. Um, we also use automatic transcription through YouTube is what our tool utilizes. And so, uh -huh. you know, of course, it's not going to be 100% accurate, accurate all the time because it's yeah. automatic transcription. And we make sure we state that as well. Um, so, so, so far, we've just been talking about the Alabama state government. Are you guys using it at a more local level anywhere? Like cities level stuff or... Well, or it, it, is that a possibility? 
It is. So this um, this tool that we are using actually is from an organization called the Open Media Foundation, uh-huh. um, and they are based out of Colorado. And they um, archive and live stream all of Colorado's legislative meetings through the uh-huh. Open Media Foundation. So the uh-huh. same tool that Alabama Channel use, utilizes is the same tool as the one that Colorado utilizes. Um, and their tool is available to communities of 5,000 residents or less for free totally for free. uh uh It's such a powerful tool. Um, And they, you know, in looking at what other states are utilizing to archive their meetings, um, Open Media Foundation seems to be pretty competitive in pricing, actually lower, probably the lowest in pricing. Uh Um, They've been wonderful to work with. Uh, We, when we talked to them originally in doing this research to find out how other states do this, um, they really latched onto the fact that we're all about government transparency and what we're doing. And they've actually had a relationship with the League of Women Voters before. Um, uh-huh. and so they allowed us the use of their tool for free for oh, our product. Oh, um, so, yeah, yeah. And so we're we're definitely exploring um, the opportunity of po- you know, possibility of using this tool here, even in Madison, um, uh-huh. Alabama, because we within I Vote Madison and the work we've done there have recorded, you know, over two years worth of, you know, city council meetings, board sessions, board Mm -hmm. of education. So we have all these different meetings. Um, And so hopefully we'll be able to do something with that soon. Yeah, that'd be fabulous. Uh, um, And, um, you know, uh, like everybody knows, I go to Huntsville city council meetings and, um, and those are recorded and they, I don't know how long they stay up. But uh, it seems like that would just be fabulous to to have a tool that would you could read in the transcript and, you know, and all of all of that kind of stuff so that you could make it searchable. I just that just sounds great. Like like how, how many times has something come up where they discussed a certain developer or a certain development or a certain uh, department or, you know, I can just imagine all kinds of stuff that I would love to also not only see at the state level, but also really. And, and the thing about the state too, is like, how many weeks are they even in session? Oh goodness. I just rattled off the, the dates that they're in session. So that was the regular station. It starts March 21st and they go to spring break the 28th through the 4th and they're back April 4th through June 20th. So. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, whereas um, local city governments are all the time, you know, there's stuff going on there all the time. And it, 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 so you got to stay on top of them, right? (laughs) Yes, yes. You know, I will say that uh, the meetings that are live streamed through Allison are not just during the legislative session. So there are contract review committee meetings and, and other meetings that are joint committee meetings that we've also been recording all throughout the summer. Good. Uh, and those can be very uh, enlightening. Honestly, you yes. might think of a contract review committee meeting to be fairly boring, but that's all the different state agencies coming in front of the committee asking for funding for what they're doing. And so they get up there and they talk about their project and what it's going to fund. And, you know, it can be really, really interesting. I, uh, no, I mean, uh, the, I, you know, I maintain that by the time something gets in front of city council, it's already gone through like three other uh, uh 
committees or commissions or whatever, at least, you know, not to mention who knows how many behind closed door meetings. So I'm totally on board with that. There's a transparency issue there. If you can get in on other meetings, yes, that's a good thing. That's, that's a good, especially if, if you, you know, just say you see something high level. Oh, at the state legislature, they talked about this. I wonder how did they arrive at this phrasing or whatever? And if you can go back and find where it was mentioned in a committee meetings and stuff like that, I, it's just, that's just seems like great, (laughs) just a, a great tool. Really, yeah, and 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 also, you know, if you're somebody that goes to deliver a public comment at one of the hearings during the committees, and it mm-hmm. is being live streamed, then we, you know, you're able to find yourself <laughs> um, delivering your comment, and that can help amplify your own voice and what you're standing for, and encourage others to, you know, to reach out to their legislators um, to speak either for or or against whatever you're you know, wanting to do. So I think that's, that's another important part of this. I will say that not all meetings in the legislature are live streamed. Uh They only, so this all happened. It's one of the real benefits of COVID (laughs) uh, is our legislature started live streaming their meetings. So before that you were just out of luck if you couldn't make it down to Montgomery to see these (laughs) meetings in person, which who, who can really. Who can do that? Uh, And so we're talking right off the bat, a lack of transparency. So we're, we're making improvements in that. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, there, there's just some meetings though that are not live streamed. Um, it, and it's really on the decision of the chair of the committees, whether or not some, some of these meetings get live streamed or are in rooms that are set up for that. Um, so we try to pay attention to that. We're definitely keeping a watchful eye on those meetings that are not being live streamed. Um, so well, and so and, and so through Allison, you could find out who's the head of whatever committee that you're interested in, and you could uh, you know get in touch with that office and say, "I sure wish you would live stream your committee meeting, right?" And that, yeah, yeah, and and yeah. then you guys would have it on tape and in your <laughs> archive. This, this is true. Yeah, this is true. We're, we're definitely trying to show everyone the, the, the benefit of this. And it's not just a, you know, this is not just a gotcha tool. You know, we are not trying to promote this in a way that people are going to be afraid of it. This is an educational tool for all of us. Um, and I think everybody benefits when they have an understanding of what the truth is, what yeah. actually is said. Yes. And, and one thing, you know, that has been mentioned in the past is that uh, meetings, of the legislature, they know that these meetings are being recorded by other organizations. Um, but those other organizations may be sharing a clip here, a clip there, and they're not making the entire meeting, the entire context of the conversation available. Uh, and we are. So yeah. I think anytime something like that happens, you can go back and say, well, watch the entire thing and see exactly yeah. what I said in, in the full mm-hmm. context. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a b- added benefit um, to legislators. And and you also mentioned that if a person went and made a comment uh, uh, that they could find a clip of themselves that they could use for whatever, Uh, but which reminds me of a point that I make pretty frequently, which is, you, you know, you don't always, you, part of what you do when you stand up in front of city council or the state legislature or in front of the Supreme Court, is you you have a, a public record of your statement, you know, of uh, and and that's not nothing, you know. 
it's it's a it's um it's a touchstone, you know, often. And uh, and and, and uh, so yes, you have that and then anybody or yourself can look at it in the larger context, but the thing is that it, this is government by the people. We get to stand up and say something and put it on the public record, um, you know, this, uh, which is a gripe I have with Huntsville City Council. They changed all the rules and it's hard. You know, we hardly get anybody with public comments anymore because you have to stay until the late last thing. And and they've got all these rules and, ugh, you know, so um uh, you know, and and then make silly comments like, "Well, this is not the place to talk about that," but it is. This is, you know, sometimes, yes, you could go to somebody's office and talk about it too. But you want a public record. You want people to see your concern. You know. Yes. Yes. Uh, so yeah, public public records. And what's what's interesting about public, like official public records is that the legislature wants to be very clear in making a distinction that any recordings of their legislative meetings are not official public records. Um, that is something that they've added language to all of their videos to say mm -hmm. this. Um, and then also official public records in city council meetings are meeting minutes. Minutes. Um, yep, the minutes. And so it's very important if you're delivering a public comment uh, at a council meeting to review the minutes and make yeah. sure that your comment was recorded. It was recorded. Yeah. For and a while, they weren't even staying. The like the 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 minute taker wasn't even staying for those late comments. And I, I, I'm like, what are we living under? What the heck, you know? But they've started. To, I, I, so far, last I checked, those are back in the minutes now. Um, but but there's a, an art if you if you've got the videotape and it's not on the minutes you can go what the heck are you guys doing because <laughs> i know i was there and here's a picture of me being there saying what i said you know um uh, you know uh, anyway it's very important yeah so anyway it's the alabamachannel.org Yes. And, and um, I assume that there's some nice menus. You said like click on bills and click on. Well, the, the bills are actually on the Allison, the, oh, Allison, uh -huh. the legislative website. So uh -huh. go there, do your homework, find out, you know, right now on Tuesday and Wednesday, this coming Tuesday and Wednesday, there are loads of committee meetings. Uh -huh. So if you go to the left-hand side of Allison, you'll see meetings and then you can click on those different committee meetings and see what bills they're going to be discussing. So when you know that, then you can go over to the Alabama channel um, and you can watch those meetings live. Uh, we re-live stream meetings not only to our website, but we also do that to um, Facebook, Twitter, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. YouTube, kind of all at the same time. So if you happen to be on Facebook and see the Alabama channel is now live, you know, just click on it and, you know, like our page, click on it watch a meeting and you know if you've never watched one of these meetings before you'll just learn a lot in watching a meeting even if there's not a bill in there that you're really into yeah. uh, you'll learn a whole lot uh, and if you find a bill that you're really into and you know that it's going to be on a certain committee you know it's it's assigned to a certain committee you can at least go and watch those committee meetings prior to your bill you know being on that committee or being discussed in that committee and learn a lot just from doing that yeah um, so, so go on there search you know, use that search tool under watch meetings and you'll be able to find 
just all kinds of stuff. I mean, even to the point you can type in happy birthday using our search tool and pull <laughs> up about six or seven different renditions of happy birthday sung by the <laughs> legislature. So I mean, I'm just saying, if you wanted to wish somebody a happy birthday, that might be a fun way, <laughs> fun way to do it. So, uh, so you got, you're also involved with I, I vote out uh, Madison, right? Yeah. So I'm the president of I vote Madison We're the local um, nonprofit here in Madison, encouraging increased civic participation, uh, uh-huh. government transparency and voter turnout. Uh, we actually have a special election coming up on May 9th. So about the whether or not Madison will switch to a city manager form of government. So that's mm. been a pretty interesting conversation. A lot of people are pretty fired up about it, which is kind of wonderful to see so much civic participation happening right now, whether you're for or against it. So, 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 um, what's, what's that website? So ivotemadison.com. You can go there and we actually have a page that covers a lot of what the city has said about the governance transition. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a lot of information out there. We actually hosted a citizen debate early on in this process and we plan to host another one, hopefully sometime during the last couple of weeks of April. Um, We're going to be hosting a redistricting conversation because if Madison does vote, residents do vote to switch to a city manager form of government, we will go from seven districts to six districts. Uh So we want to uh, have everybody understand how that redistricting process works, what it looks like to draw lines and a map. Um, And so we're really excited about that. Um, And yeah, so we're going to have that citizens debate, the redistricting meeting and just trying to encourage people to, to talk about this this topic and learn as much as they can before they cast their vote. Yeah, yeah. I it's, I think it's a really important issue coming this one. So I, yeah, I hope I hope you get a lot of educational information out there. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. Kind of huge. Um so I you know, I, I I'm probably going to you know, be back in touch with you to hear more about that. I would love to, to talk some more about what's going on in Madison, you know. Absolutely. We're um, here. Yeah, good. Well, I think, is there any last words you want to put out there? Um, you know, the- I always like to say that no matter what it is you care about, you should know what your legislators are saying about it. And the Alabama channel allows you to do that. So please use it. Please use it to share those moments with your friends and family, because that's the only way we're going to get the word out, you know, to the point where everyday citizens are using this tool to inform others. You know, please go and like it, share it, all the above. Yeah, but I'm, 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 I'm constantly talking about uh, the important thing to me about this podcast is if it causes people to have conversations. And if if you go to the Alabama channel and you find something that you need to have a conversation with your friends about or whatever, uh, I, I, it's just, a, I think it's a fabulous. Yes. And if you have any organizations, if anybody out there is listening, have any organizations that would like to have a demo of the Alabama channel, maybe a Zoom demo, yeah. Um, please feel free to reach out to me and you can reach out to me through the website and I will get that and we can set up a demo. We've, we've given at least <laughs> like 30 or more demos to different organizations all across the state and happy to add more to that number. That's fabulous. That sounds really wonderful. Thank you so much for the work that you, you and Michael do. Uh, I just, I'm humbled. 
I really appreciate it. And, um, and I will be back in touch for sure. Awesome. Thank you for bringing attention to it and for all you do to bring attention to so many issues that are so important to everybody. Uh, Well, you know, mostly I do it for my own sanity, (laughs) but doggone it. If somebody has a conversation about this stuff, I'm happy. Good. Yes. You know, so uh, the audience is growing slowly, so we're good. We're out there. Awesome. Uh, Wonderful. Thank you so much. And you guys have a wonderful weekend and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. You too. Bye. And here I am. I want to read a short piece of um, writing for you. Uh, It's a, what I would call a prose poem, I think, would be my inclination. Um, And it's by a local author by the name of Barb Parks. uh, I'm fortunate enough to get the opportunity to be in a weekly um, Zoom uh, for some writers that uh, that she uh, takes part in. And she read this this week, and and I wanted to um, share it with you guys. It's called Protection. Sage and cedar, meditations and affirmations, stones and feathers, rituals and solace from friends. We call upon these physical and energy forms to protect us. We draw them to us to peel back the film from our eyes and return clear vision to help us find our way home. The world sometimes threatens to shake us. We are not good enough, rich enough, straight enough, smart enough, right enough, clean enough, restrained enough. This perceived lack permeates our fields, polluting and undermining. We start approaching ourselves from the slant of some around us, looking through their eyes, their insecurities and limitations. Doubt creates the film over our eyes, obscuring vision of self and separating us from our definition, well thought out and, for the most part, deliberately formed. We have chosen who we are with exercised consciousness. We strive to live our beliefs, even though we may struggle with our own limiting thoughts. If we are different from others because of our choices, that doesn't make us wrong. It makes us who we are, loving, conscientious, sincere, hopeful, evolving beings. When we look at ourselves through the glare of others' subjective lens, we can lose touch with ourselves, become blinded by the separation from our rightful being. Our inner sight fades and our proud light dims. Our only true protection comes from nurturing and maintaining clarity about this self we have shaped and formed. We must hold dear to our hearts the aspects of ourselves in which we have personally found merit. We must keep our sight clear enough to see our own light shining through. And we must, above all, believe in ourselves. It is this belief and clarity that allows us to stand solidly in our own power and face those who endeavor to diminish it.
this moment to say thank you very much for listening and please um you know tell your friends uh, about hsv progressive um and and and, and uh, you know click on like or follow us or whatever it is you want to do maybe even write a review um, um, and, and once again, I'll just remind you to please, please keep having those conversations. On top of that, I also want to let you know that we are on, um, in the mornings on Unclaimed Mysteries Radio, which you can find on Live 365, um, and there's a lot of cool stuff going on over there. It's still kind of bare bones, but we're working on it. I'm super excited to be part of that, and if you wanted to be part of it, you can find uh, Unclaimed Mysteries Radio on um, on uh, on Facebook, uh, and the, the uh, you can email about you know whatever you're curious about. Um, if if you want to con- contribute music, we're particularly interested in local stuff. Anyway, huh, just uh, or, or uh, download the Live 365 app on your phone, and you can listen to it. Um, and um, um, I'm like I said, HSV Progressive is on there Monday through Wednesday in the morning, and then Tuesday and Thursday the Tennessee Valley Labor Report is on. And then we've got some other various and sundry music programs and and whatnot, and we're trying to build um, build a, a good robust uh, platform for all kinds kinds of good stuff. So tune in there too, and thanks for listening.